Well, how many of you are excited that spring is just around the corner? And how many of you are utterly confused by the weather right now? Am I right? 80 degrees, 26 degrees, and it's kind of how life is. As a church family, we are processing through kind of the first part of our vision or mission statement, which is this. Follow Jesus, serve others. Follow Jesus, serve others. And so really the purpose for City Church is to call people to follow Jesus and to serve others. And if you ever took a cursory reading of the Newer Testament or if you studied it in depth, you would find out very quickly that that's what the New Testament is about in so many ways. It's about calling us to follow Jesus and serve others. And I know in my own spiritual journey as I kind of, our family was completely unfaithed and we stepped into, we were unchurched and I, we began to attend church just during my preteen years. When we stepped into this church, what I heard a lot about was sort of doctrine and what you had to believe. Doctrine has its place. What we believe must be biblically founded. But Jesus never walked up to someone said, here's the 11 things you have to believe. What Jesus did was he walked up to people and he said, come, follow me. Follow me. This is about a relationship with God through Christ. And so with that concept in mind and with understanding the importance of follow Jesus and serve others, our church family is processing through a biblical understanding of follow Jesus. And so this morning, as we take a look at this, we're going to kind of come at it from a very different angle. Here's my other confession this morning. Have you ever woken up on a specific morning and you just don't feel great? You ever have one of those mornings? Come on now, admit it. You ever, I know I'm not the only one. I got up this morning, I didn't feel great. Last night was prom, and uh, the, the school my, my kids attend, prom's a very special thing where Mothers will dance with daughters, I'm sorry, sons, and um, I had an opportunity to dance with my daughter and do the waltz, and man, it was awesome, loved it, absolutely loved it, made sure I gave the guy that was taking her to prom the stink eye, you know what I mean, you kind of stare him down, and it's always best to leave them a little bit confused, how many dads know exactly what I'm talking about. You stare at him and then hug him and then shake his hand and then stare at him again and just kind of creep him out. So my daughter and I did the waltz together. It was just so awesome. It was so much fun. And we actually practiced the waltz in our kitchen. And that didn't go so well. And the public waltz went even worse. How many of you ever do that. I'm just a horrible dancer. Are anybody, are you a good, if you're a good dancer, raise your hand seriously. Just, you're humble, but you admit it. You're good. How many of you are just terrible at dancing? Look at the vast majority of us are just no rhythm at all. That's sort of me. I don't know why I'm sharing this all with you other than I got up this morning and just had this headache. I just didn't feel great. And I'm so thankful for worship at City Church. Because my confession is, I came in this morning, was excited to be here, but just really was like, God, worship's got to be great because I just feel like I'm struggling. You ever get like that? 
Look, I'm paid to be upbeat on a Sunday morning. And, but we're going to talk about following Jesus. We're going to do it from an angle that's going to be a little bit different, and it's going to harken back to sort of a teaching that I did here just a few weeks ago as we moved towards Easter. In that movement towards Easter, we took a look at the triumphal entry of Jesus, and what we focused on was contrasting that against a Roman triumphal entry and how different it was where a conquering general would ride into a city and he'd be in a chariot with five white charging stallions and all around him would be his military authority and those who were with him and in front of him would be the captives that he had conquered. Most of them would be slaughtered before the end of the celebration or sent off into slavery. And the triumphal entry of Jesus was the antithesis of that. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Not just a donkey, but the foal of a donkey. And he was humble, and he was gentle, and he was kind. And unlike a conquering Roman general whom you could not get near, people were touching Jesus. They were reaching out to him. And I believe giving him a fist bump and a high five as he rode by. What a different triumphal entry. But what a powerful one. There were many people that followed Jesus on that day. That triumphal entry must have seemed just so different to them, but I think something in their guts told them that this is the good thing. This is the right thing. And what we didn't talk about during the triumphal entry teaching is where we're going to focus this morning. It's when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And going into Jerusalem, he does something that no one could have ever expected. And in just a moment, I'm going to read for us from Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. And as we follow Jesus, there's something so critical about being a follower of him and what happens once he enters into the city of Jerusalem. Now, the triumphal entry is profound for a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest ones is that it's Jerusalem. We have to understand what Jerusalem is, and it helps us to develop the context for the story. Jerusalem, for a thousand years, has been the center of Jewish faith, Jewish culture. It's a city that King David built. David had begun to usurp and overcome sort of the prior king who was King Saul. King Saul was an absolute disaster at the end of his reign. And God begins to raise up this young king by the name of David. And David had a lot of things in his heart for God. And one of them was he wanted to build a city for God. And in that city, he would build a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant, a permanent house for God. That was in his heart. That was one of his passions. And so David achieves this, and the way he achieves this is he conquers a group of people called the Jebusites. And a thousand years before Christ ever walks the earth, David is moving and he's conquering people groups as the new king of Israel. And there's this fortress that's up on a hill. 
and that fortress and that little town was called Jerusalem. But it was easy to fortify. It has steep cliffs around several sides and there's a tall wall around it and David determines he's going to conquer that for God. And he's going to make this the city of Zion, the city of God. And because of this and what happens there, it's not long before it becomes known as the city of David. It's not dissimilar from Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States. It's named after a famous leader who was there and helped get the whole thing started. Well, Jerusalem is synonymously known as the city of David. And what we discover is, is that in that ancient city, David was not allowed to build the temple that when it was in his heart to build for God because God spoke to him that you have blood on your hands. He was a military leader. He was a great military leader. But he had blood on his hands and so his son Solomon eventually builds the temple and the temple's known as Solomon's temple. But you have the city of David and in it this magnificent temple is built to the glory of God. And in that temple, you've got the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where God's presence dwells. You see, by the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire has overrun the Jewish people. And the city of David is overrun by the Roman Empire, and the people in that city are crying out to God, We need another David. We need another David who will come in and will dominate our oppressors and will liberate this city of Jerusalem and set us free so that we can worship God again and that the Jewish people will be great. So almost every Jew is combing the Older Testament, specifically the book of Isaiah, and they're studying the prophecies about how God will raise up a son of David. And when the son of David arises, he will become the Messiah, the anointed one of God, and he will devastate Israel's enemies. And he will make the city of Jerusalem great again, and he will sit on David's throne. Those prayers are at a fever pitch. At the time of Jesus. And so as we've read a few weeks ago. We picked up the whole idea. Of the triumphal entry. And the people as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. On a donkey. They're crying out. Hosanna to the son of God. And Hosanna to the son of David. He's the one that they've been waiting for. This one who would rise up the way David did. And he would conquer the Roman Empire and set people free. The problem is, as we pick up our reading, what Jesus does next and those people that are following him would have been absolutely stunned at what he does. If you were to read at the beginning of this chapter in 21, it says Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. And now we pick it up in our reading as we begin to read verse 12. I'm actually going to back up just a little bit. Verse 10 says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, that's the city of David. You must remember that. When he enters into Jerusalem, the city of David, where the temple is and where there's worship to God and sacrifices are running morning, noon, and night. It's the center of the worship of the Jewish people. 
Jesus enters there and the whole city asks the question, who is this? And the crowd answers, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now we pick up our reading. Jesus entered the temple court, so he enters into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple courts, this 40-acre plot of land, in the center of which is the temple where there's sacrifices morning, noon, and night. There's prayer morning, noon, and night. There's incense and offering to God morning, noon, and night. And Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. The children are even cheering. David's replacement is here. There's a new King David that's going to sit on the throne. They were indignant. Do you hear what the children are saying? They asked him. Yes replied Jesus. Have you not read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth praise? And he left them, and he went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. What we find here is that Jesus and those that are following him enter into Jerusalem. Jesus climbed up that brief hill and he went on to the Temple Mount. And when he steps into that area, that sacred space, he begins to overturn tables. The other Gospels tell us that when he goes in there, he not only overturns tables, but he wouldn't let anyone carry anything on the Temple Mount. He froze the place and he put it on lockdown. But what's interesting is this, is when Jesus enters onto the Temple Mount, the people are cheering, the Son of David is here. The King is among us, and they cheer, Hosanna, which means save us. Oh God, save us. And they're connecting that to Christ, that the Son of David is here. Now what you cannot know is what is happening here is so biblically profound, it is mind-blowing. What is happening is something that I believe we need to understand as followers of Christ. And the way to understand it is, we have to go back a thousand years when the original King David walked into Jerusalem. When the original King David conquers the Jebusites and moves into that city. And we can find that very quickly in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. 2 Samuel 5, 6 through 10. If you're utilizing one of the Bibles that we provide, that's page 243. What we're going to do now is continue to set the context 
for us as followers of Jesus. 2 Samuel chapter 5, you're reading a thousand years before Christ enters Jerusalem as king. Chapter 5's heading says this, David becomes king over Israel. What else is absolutely uncanny is in verse 4, we find out that David becomes king when he is 30. Guess how old Jesus was when he stepped into his earthly ministry? Same age. Same age. And now we pick up our story and we begin reading in verse 6. 2 Samuel 5, 6 says this, The king, meaning David, and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. And the Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of who? City of David. Now the Bible goes on and the prophet Samuel tells us what happened. It says, on that day David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. This is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. Reading on verse 9, it says, But David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. So here's what happens. David has a small band of soldiers that are traveling with him. They've crowned him as king. David is now king over Israel, and he's moving into this territory, and he sees this city up on a hill called Jerusalem, and he determines, I'm going to attack that, and I'm going to make that into the center, the capital of the Israelite people. But it's fortified. It's a fortress. And David's a wise man, and he realizes that there is a spring that is feeding that city. And he tells his men, find out where the spring enters the city. Climb up that, tent, that, that tunnel, and when you get up inside the city, come out and fight and kill the people. And whoever gets in there first will become a general in my army, and I'll honor you greatly. But what's fascinating is, is when the people of Israel with David surround the city, the people in the city shout out from the city. Here's what they shout out. Hey, David, you're pathetic. Look at your soldiers. David, guess what? When you go to make your move, you're so pathetic that we're not going to use the varsity team to fight you. We're not even going to use the JV team to fight you. We're going to let the blind and the lame fight you. Well, seemingly, that got under David's skin. Because it's repeated several times. The blind and the lame the blind and the lame. And David says to his soldiers, listen, I want you to find out where the spring enters that city, climb up that tunnel and get out there and I want you to kill the blind and the lame. I want you to devastate them. 
Well, that's what happens. His soldiers find the tunnel, they climb up in there, and they conquer the city. Well, as oftentimes when there's great events in a nation, somebody will write a song to commemorate it. We have a line from that song. It's at the end of the verse that maybe you guys could put up on the screen, verse 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 5. At the end it says, that is why they say, what do they say? The blind and the lame will not enter this palace. Oftentimes when David had a victory, some songwriter would write a special song declaring his victory. You can read about this in the Older Testament. So can you imagine in American Idol, or maybe Israelite Idol, during Jesus's or David's time, someone would get up and sing this song. It's a popular song. But the main refrain was this. The blind and the lame will not enter the palace. So now we go back to our story. We've just read about how David enters Jerusalem as king. And then we pick up Jesus as he enters Jerusalem as king. And as Jesus enters, he does something that's very different. Jesus enters that fortress very humbly. He doesn't come as a king with military might. Jesus enters that fortress humbly. Now I'm going to personally apply what it looks like to follow Jesus for you and for me. Here's what I have found in my own life. That Jesus, like he enters Jerusalem, Jesus enters my fortress humbly as well. For those of us who are sitting here, most of us are people who have high achievement. That's awesome. But the problem is, is that for many of us, we live in a fortress of self-confidence and self-reliance. By the time Jesus shows up to enter Jerusalem as king, Israel has shifted from a group of people who are relying on God. And when Jesus shows up, he comes in humbly. And as he does, he moves into the temple court and Jesus begins to turn stuff over. He begins to upset stuff. But here's what I found in my own life. is that Christ is faithful to me and he will be faithful to you. That when Jesus enters into the life of a follower, he comes in and he begins to deal with this unhealthy self-confidence and self-reliance. You see, David entered Jerusalem with military cunning and trickery. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came in to take over that fortress with humility and with love. If you were to look at what happens when Jesus enters into that incredible city, the Bible says that he goes to the temple courts, to the spiritual center of the city, and he turns over tables. I mentioned earlier that the Gospel of Mark tells us that he won't let anyone carry anything around the temple court. He puts it on lockdown and won't let anyone travel. No one's allowed to carry anything 
in the temple court while Christ is there for those few brief moments. Here's what has entered my head. If I were following Jesus, I would have expected him to enter into the city of Jerusalem and to go up to the Romans and begin to knock them out. That he would have somehow, with the power of God, begin to destroy the Romans that are in that ancient city in order to free it up so God's people can worship. That's not what Jesus does. Instead of going after the Romans, Christ steps into the heart of a spiritual relationship with God and he goes into the temple which is the epicenter of a relationship with God and he begins to overturn the tables. I have found that Christ in my own life is faithful to overturn the religiosity and the religious stuff of my life too. You see, when Jesus steps in and he overturns those tables and he won't let anyone carry anything, the sacrifices must stop. And for a brief moment there, Christ becomes the center. And he overturns the table and he stops the sacrificial system. And it's him there, God in the flesh, on the temple mount. And he overturns these tables. No one could have ever expected that they were certain he'd go after the Romans but instead he goes to the spiritual epicenter of Jerusalem and what I want to say to you is that as a follower of Jesus that's what God will be faithful to do in your life and in mine you see the most dangerous thing to my spiritual life is not the Roman Empire it's not some external political structure the most dangerous thing to my spiritual life is the religiosity of my own heart and where I've become comfortable and I've become casual in my spiritual walk and where things have become so predictable, so comfortable, Jesus comes in and upsets those tables. Another thing that Jesus does, and I want us to catch this because it's so key, as you read in the gospel, the Bible tells us that Jesus goes into Jerusalem. He overturns those money changers. He overturns the tables. He stirs up the religious pot. And then in verse 14, what does it tell us happens next? As we look at Matthew 21. He's finished doing this upheaval. And what does it say in verse 14? I want to read it. It says, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. The very people that King David had showed up to kill, Jesus heals and that song that we read about a thousand years earlier, I want you to remember that refrain. And the refrain was this, the blind and the lame will never enter the palace. The blind and the lame aren't going to be welcome in. You want to know why? David, as great as he was, had an insecurity. 
Even though he won the battle, there was something about that phrase, David, the the blind and the lame are going to defeat you. And it got under his skin and his insecurity was growing through that to the point where David didn't want to see blind and lame people in the palace because it reminded him of that difficult season. It reminded him of his insecurities. It reminded him of that time. And so David had a rule, no blind, no lame allowed in the palace. And there was a top ten on the, on the chart song that backed it up. But what does Jesus do? Jesus goes into the temple. And I believe it's no mistake But the gospel writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit lets us know that Jesus healed the blind and the lame. The very thing that David didn't want to look at, David didn't want to deal with, here's Jesus coming in as the new king. Here's what I want to say for those of us who take following Jesus seriously. God is going to be faithful to deal with your insecurities. And you went, oh great, I'm so happy to know this. But here's what I'll tell us. Here's what I have to say to my own life. That even the greatest of people have these things called insecurities. David was the king all of Israel was longing for and looking for. He was the best king, the most awesome king. But he had this insecurity when he saw a blind person. A lame person, it reminded him of that. And yet Jesus, as the new king, steps onto the temple mount. And there, where the blind and lame were not welcome, they're brought to him. And he heals them. As a follower of Jesus, one of the greatest gifts God can ever give us is when he overturns the tables in our lives spiritually. But not just that, it's when Jesus steps in and begins to deal with the insecurities of our hearts and of our lives. And I want to tell you in my own life, this isn't something that you want to sign up for, but by the grace of God, it happens. God loves us too much to leave us embattled with these things. So Jesus steps into the epicenter of who we are, the same way he steps onto the temple mount, He steps into our hearts and he deals with the issue and he brings healing and he brings wholeness and we need that. I know that for some of us sitting here, your insecurities have ruined your life. We serve a God who sent his son as king. And oh, by the way, Jesus is king. And as followers of his, we have this incredible opportunity to allow Christ to come in and to deal with us in this regard. Can I tell you, I have a favorite verse. 2 Corinthians 9-11. It's one of the top 20. Here's what the verse says. When I am weak, he is strong. When I am weak, he is strong. You see, in my flesh, I want to be a king like David. But Christ comes to me and he impacts me in the center of who I am spiritually. And what Christ deals with is this. 
Pete, if you have insecurities, that's cool. That's fine. But you're not going to live by those. Instead, you're going to surrender those to me and you're going to allow me to heal those. And in the midst of that spot where you're weak, if you will allow me, I will become strong. This was so profound that the Apostle Paul announces this in the Newer Testament. He said, I boast all the more in my weakness. I boast in it. As followers of Jesus, and if you've committed to follow Jesus, I can guarantee you this, that Christ is faithful. In the areas where we're self-confident, Jesus will come into that fortress, but he comes in as a gentle and a humble and a kind king. He's also faithful to overturn the tables in my life. And when he does so, he does so because he loves me. And in turning over the tables, he's trying to remove that religiosity, that stuff that is so dangerous to my spiritual life. And then Jesus, because he loves me, comes after the big one, the insecurities of my heart. You see, David lived with those insecurities. But in Jesus, we don't need to. Christ can come and he can heal the blind in the lame. In your heart and in mine. Let's stand together as we close out our time in prayer. As we stand together, I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes in God's presence. And the worship team will return and they're going to lead us in a brief time of worship. As we close our eyes, no longer is Christ completely concerned about a temple mount. Christ's primary concern is your heart. Will you and I together Surrender the center of who we are. Will you surrender your heart to him this morning? Will you open it up with your religious realities that hinder you? Will you open your heart with your insecurities? Will you open your heart in the areas where you've relied upon yourself? Where self-reliance and your own strength has been what's carrying you and you're exhausted, you're wore out, and you're tired. Christ is so faithful that as we open up our hearts, he will step in as a humble and as a gentle and a kind king. And as he does, he will transform us and he will set us free. Could it be this morning that all of us would be open to the work of Christ? that the fullness of Jesus would happen in my heart and in my life in this moment. And for those of you that have crippling and gripping insecurities, I want to encourage you to lay those down before him and say, Jesus, will you heal the lame and the blind in me? Will you heal me of this? Will you set me free? 
And instead of this being crippling, it'll be an area of my life where I'll be able to say where I am weak, Jesus Christ is strong. Lord, bless in this. Work in this. We believe for this in your name. In your name. Let's keep our eyes closed just for a moment as Callie leads us. Let's focus on Jesus. May my prayer like incense rise before you. The lifting of my hands is sacrifice. Oh Lord Jesus, turn your eyes upon me. For I know there is mercy in your sight. Your statutes are my heritage forever. My heart is set on keeping your decrees. Please still my anxious urge toward rebellion. Thank you for your love for us. Jesus, I pray over every single one of us that you would have a triumphal entry as king into the spiritual center of our hearts and of our lives. Jesus, do a work in us that only you can do and be this humble and gentle king. And in doing so, free us up that we would be a people that follow you, that we would be a people that follow you 
serve others. As we conclude our time together, if you would like prayer, I encourage you to come forward. The prayer team will be moving forward now. They'll be here to pray with you and to pray for you. If you're going to be part of First Connect, I'd like to encourage you as we conclude now just following a blessing that you would exit quickly and move towards the small gymnasium. We'll be eating lunch together. But I'm just encouraged in this sense. I pray that the presence of God would be with us and that each and every one of us would be transformed by King Jesus and he would do a sovereign work in our hearts and in our lives. And now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may he cause his face to shine upon you and may he give you peace. Amen and amen. Let's worship together as we close. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise, ever praise you, God.
Oh, I could just say, I could just sit away for all your goodness. Hope to feel your presence. I could just stay. I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you. Hope to feel something again. Oh, I could hold on. I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe. Oh, I could be safe here in your arms and never leave. Oh, never let these walls down. But you have called me higher. You have called me deeper. And I'll go where you
You are my comfort.